Well, we are glad that you are worshiping with us today. I think uh, this was said earlier in the service, but um, we are uh, changing things up. It, we say this all the time at Family Bible. If you've been here a while, you'll know this already, um, but the constant is change. Um, things do change, and uh, we are changing up a bit of the um, flow of service. So hope you're seeing that, and there's a reason for it. We'll talk about that as things develop, but we really want to honor God in everything that we're doing. Uh, this morning, I told you last week we did the one-off for uh, Labor Day. Um, we're going to start a new series, and then in, I think, three weeks— uh, we're going to start in the Gospel of Mark. And so I'm just putting it out there for you in case you want to start reading the Gospel of Mark. Um, we also, of course, have notes on our website uh, for the teaching we'll do this morning. We'll have family group notes and, and other things like that. If you want to um, kind of follow up on that, we'll have it for the, the Mark series as well. But just kind of putting it out there if you want to be praying or, or reading through something, that's an opportunity to do that. I hope that you read the Bible regularly in your life somehow um, through a reading plan, just through what the Lord inspires you to do, just finding ways to integrate Scripture into our lives. Um, it's, it's God's uh, blessing to His people, His truth and His Word. And uh, I, I hope that you're taking the opportunity to do that. Um, I wanted to stop before we got into the series of Mark. We kind of knew we were going to be doing that series um, because the Lord's had something on my heart that I really wanted to talk to you guys about because I think it's like of, of paramount importance, right? I mean, that means it's really important, okay? And so um, I think that sometimes in this life, uh, we're a little surprised when things are hard and maybe um, even more so when we're believing in Christ and we're surprised that things are hard. And so I want to do this three-week series on call, called The Fight uh, for Your Life. And uh, I had a I was kind of tempted to call it um, the battle for your soul, you know? I mean, and uh, do like the more of the, the military theme, you know? But I think that that kind of brings the gravity to what I'm talking about, that, there, that there's this real uh, war, this real fight going on. And, and I wanted to raise attention because I think that both in the church and outside of the church, we are maybe not aware or not fully engaged in, in that reality, Okay. I think that we, we struggle with that, and we just kind of go, ah, oh, you know, it's, it can't be that serious, can't be that big of a deal. And so today I'm hoping in this first week, as we talk through that, that we begin to see that maybe it's a huge deal of this spiritual battle that we live in. And in our own lives, when we can get tied up in the minutia of what's happening, that maybe there's a bigger thing going on that we need to be attentive to. I'll say to you, and again, if you've been here for a long time, you know this, like, I'm not preaching at you, I'm talking with you, because when I read the scriptures, I feel this myself. In my own spiritual walk, I feel this myself, this battle, this struggle, this real um, uh, engagement we have. Perhaps the difference would be, as a pastor, I get invited to people's lives, and I see the good, the bad, the ugly of the struggle. I see it in my own life, too, though, and it's very, very real. My desire as a pastor of Family Bible Church is that you would be equipped to not be surprised and that you would um, know how we ought to respond in the middle of the fight. Some of the people I really look up to actually in, in uh, Christian life and ministry, look at their whole lives. Now, I, I will say to you, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet in looking at it this way, but they look at their whole lives and what they call a wartime mentality, that you do what it takes to get to the end goal, that you always have your eyes on the purpose to which you're called. Getting, your, getting our attention off of the immediate. I definitely think that as a culture, we live in the immediate, the gratification, the right now, what's good for me, what's going to work tomorrow, no matter what's going to matter for eternity. And so in this first week, I want to talk about this idea of, of um, first of all, I want to make a, um, I guess, I want to convince you that you're in a fight. That's the first thing. Convince you that you're in a fight and the fight of your life. And then the second thing I want to convince you to do is to get your hands up, Right? 
to just defend yourself. That's kind of our goal today, to talk about that. Maybe you don't even believe it this morning. Maybe you came here to church, and you're like, you know what, this church is just something you do on Sunday, and it's, you know, I just came because somebody told me I should be here, but it doesn't really matter for my life. I believe the Scripture says something totally different than that, and I think we can engage together in that. We're going to do what we always do before we open the Word of God, is that we are going to pray. We're going to pray for God's wisdom and understanding as we, as we um, read His Scripture, and that He would teach us, not that I would teach us, but that He would teach you and me what we need to know so we can be equipped this week to follow Jesus together. Um, so pray with me if you would. Um, God of the universe and all creation, you made us, you know us, and you've drawn us here today. We confess to you, Father, that um, you are sovereign and we are not, that you are all-knowing and we are not, and that we are desperately in need of your wisdom. Your word promises that if we ask you for wisdom, you are pleased to grant it. And so this morning, would you give us your wisdom? Um, give me wisdom as I preach your word. Give everyone here and people who are listening who aren't even here right now wisdom as they hear your word, that they might apply it and um, live out the truth of the gospel that they might draw near to you in this very real fight that we face in our lives. I pray for uh, courage this morning and transparency in the Holy Spirit's intercession in all things. May you be glorified as we seek you and the one who saved us. And we pray in his name. Amen. I don't know, I don't know if you even believe me right away that I lay out this kind of idea that you're in a fight right now, you know? I don't know if you even believe that that's true in your own um, life. I don't know if you are a sports person or not, you know. There are certain sports that, that pe people love to watch, and those they don't. Maybe you like football. Maybe you like soccer or football, everywhere else on the planet, <laughs> you know. Um, maybe you like race car driving. Anybody like boxing? Does anyone already have a, all right, so some connection for boxing? Does anyone hate boxing? You just can't stand to watch boxing? Yeah. Right? I know there's a lot of people like that, right? Have you ever, though, even if you don't like to watch boxing, have you ever caught yourself watching a fight? Or maybe, maybe you're not boxing, maybe MMA is your thing, right? Or, or not your thing. You really are that octagon, they lock you in, you're going to fight to the death. You know, that's what they make it seem, right? But have you ever caught yourself watching it, whether you like it or not, and you've seen someone getting their rear end just kicked all over the place? Have you ever seen that? And maybe if you like fighting, you're like, yeah, get him, man. You know, you got, you, you signed up for this. You know what you're getting into. Maybe boxing, you know, boxing almost seems like elegant now compared to MMA. You know what I mean? Like there's at least some rules, right? Have you ever seen a boxing match where somebody won't quit, but they don't have their hands up anymore? And they're just getting pounded. Pow, pow, pow. And even if you hate boxing, and perhaps even more so if you hate boxing, you will start to scream at the screen. What? Get your hands up. Defend yourself. Stop the fight. Like someone has to do something. This is crazy. He's getting killed in there. Or she's getting killed in there. Have you, have you seen any like the women's MMA stuff? Like two women's like beating the crap out of each other? And if you hate it, you're like, somebody should stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. I don't know if you watch that stuff. You know, you're down, someone's on top, and they're just pounding you, pow, 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 pow. And the only person to stop is the referee. They're just laying there. You have to defend yourself. That's one of the signs you're in the fight. You've got to defend yourself. 
somebody gets knocked down, they stand up. They give them the standing, what is it called? Standing eight, standing ten count, whatever that is, right? And at the end they say, they hold their hands up. Can you defend yourself? Because you know why? It's not fair to be in a fight if you can't defend yourself. It's, it's awful. And there's something instinctively as humans that we know that you, that's not good. That shouldn't be that way. Or maybe you, you don't really have the um, boxing connection, right? Um, but maybe, and I will tell you, like, this is part of my growing up story. Maybe you were in fights but not willing participants in fights. Anybody have that experience as a kid? <laughs> you know, schoolyard scraps that you didn't really initiate? Okay, if, you, if you've not had that experience, let me educate you a little bit on how that works, right? You're, you're walking through the playground. You're hanging out with your friends. Uh, Sometimes they're imaginary. I'm just putting them out there, okay? And, and you're, you're, you're thinking deep philosophical thoughts about life and the birds and the tree, and you're just hanging out, and it's beautiful, and all of a sudden, bam! You're on the ground, and there's pain. And you're like, what's going on? And by the time you get rolled, you realize you got your peers around you. I almost said friends, but you know, friends wouldn't stand there and watch that, right? And he said, bam, bam, bam. And then, okay, I'm going to date myself a bit, but back in the day, they used to have supervisors. They still have those on the playgrounds. And they had whistles. Those people were so bad at their jobs. I always felt like as a kid, you know, I mean, I know we had a big play yard, but at some point, like, somebody has to see the circle of 10 kids and the dust storm that's happening in the corner of the play yard, you know, and uh, they blow that whistle. And don't you know it that what happens, everybody gets in trouble. Everybody gets in trouble. I know you're thinking, right, but I'm saying, now, how, how does that look from, I'm telling you my perspective, for real. Bam, you're on the ground. Bam, you're getting beat up. I didn't know I was in a fight today. <laughs> Nobody told me I was on the card. <laughs> you know what I mean? But guess what? The other dude or the other girl, right, who came up out of nowhere, they knew they were in a fight. They knew it before you knew it. And bam, that schoolyard bully. Bam, that dude in the locker room. They know that they're in a fight. But you don't. And that's tragic. That's not how it should be. I actually think as Christians, we're kind of like that. You know? We read what the Bible says about the kingdom coming and the Savior of the world, and we're like, yeah, it's so good. And we don't even recognize that we're in the middle of a fight right now. We don't even see it coming. It's not even like we're on the card and we're wore out and we can't defend ourselves. We don't even know. There, there is an enemy Someone's trying to kill me. Someone's trying to ruin this experience. Someone's trying to mess me up today. I don't think that we even see that coming. I believe that so much of our lives are spent walking around that way, just unaware of the fight that we're in. And so I want to talk to you this morning from Scripture about what the Bible says about this fight. I'm going to ask you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 10, verse 10, and we're going to read a little bit, a very little bit of the description and talk through it this morning very practically, maybe how it, how it really matters in our lives. So you can turn there. I'd encourage you to turn there if you want to. It'll be on the screens in a minute, but I would encourage you to turn there and check it out. See the word for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Read what the scriptures say. Jesus here is teaching his disciples, and he's talking about um, the reality of this uh, kingdom that's coming, the reality of what's happening. And in verse 10, it's a few, few words here. This is what Jesus says to those who would listen. 
the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I want to stop right there. I know you know the rest of that verse. I've preached the rest of that verse. We just studied that at camp to some of the rest of that verse. But I want to focus on the first part of that verse this morning. That the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. In the context of what Jesus is talking about, he's talking about his role as the good shepherd. He's talking about the battle going on for the souls of mankind. And in the middle of this conversation, he says this very succinct statement that we ought to pay attention to. That there is a thief among us. There is one who would wish to rob us of what God desires for us. There's, there's, there's a fight going on. It's real. This idea um, that there's a, a thief that's, that's coming to steal um, is exactly that. The, the word for uh, steal is klepto, and it means to take something that is rightfully yours, to, to, to cleave it, to, re- to remove it from you, to, to take it away. Many times we might read this and we go, yeah, yeah, the thief comes to steal my, and we fill in the blank, as if they're coming to steal stuff from us. But we're going to talk about what this means in the context of what Jesus is teaching here about him being the good shepherd. There is a thief. He's amongst the sheep in the sheep pen. And his desire is to steal what is God's. If there's any way. Have you ever watched any of those shows about people who steal stuff? You know, or maybe you just see the reports about, you know, fraud or, you know, whatever it is. I cannot believe how creative thieves are. I just can't believe it. Like, I'm like, I would never even think of that. I'm not saying I'm better than them. I'm just not that smart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what? What a scam that was. How complicated that was. And now we take that idea into the spiritual realm. We go, wait, there's an adversary who is more cunning, more clever than any of us could be? And his desire is not to steal from you or me, but to steal from God? Like, do you know the kind of nerve it takes to believe you can take something that belongs to God? Not men. But there is one, Jesus says. And this thief, now hear the word this morning, only comes for that purpose. That's the only reason he's there. There is no other purpose he's serving in this life but to steal, to kill and to destroy. So we talked about the thief taking things that are not his, that are rightfully someone else's, in this case, God's. But a second it says, he comes to kill. And the interesting thing about that word is it means to sacrifice. To sacrifice. So you start to get this imagery from the scriptures of sheep in the pen being sacrificed while under the care of the shepherd. Insult to injury. Who has the right to sacrifice a sheep? only the one who owns it. So this is like, this is like a next level, you know. And one thing to steal a sheep and take it, another thing to slaughter it, to, to, to sacrifice it for something less than its intended purpose. That's the second idea, is that um, th- there will be a sacrifice 
that would not honor God. And then the third, I'm going to tile this up here in a minute, but the third is to destroy. And again, this word kind of escapes the, from the Greek. It doesn't quite get there because what it means to destroy, you might mean, think of me, it's like grind it and, you know, to, you know, like grind it up to destroy it. Big explosions, you know, maybe even like a fight. He's getting destroyed, you know. But what it means is to, to cut us off. To cut us completely off. From what? What does the thief come to steal? What does the um, enemy come to sacrifice? What does he desire to destroy or to, to separate, to remove? And I will make the argument this morning to you that it is nothing less and nothing more important and valuable eternally than our very relationship with the God who made us. Some context again. Jesus is talking to his disciples about being sheep of his. He's going to say in a minute, I'm the good shepherd. And so the desire of the enemy, desire of the thief that only comes to kill, steal, and destroy is that he would um, ruin our relationship with God. Yeah. Okay. Now, you're probably like, well, that's... Oh, good to know, <laughs> right? But um, I, I don't, I'm okay because I don't look around. I don't see the thief. I don't see the devil anywhere, right? Um, I'm good. This is where it gets hard. Because what I've begun to see prayerfully in my own life and the lives of others around me is that this pattern of stealing, of killing, of destroying is very real present right now in our lives and we we don't even see it we don't see it this battle in our hearts in our minds in our lives what we're going to do what we're going to believe who we're going to be is real every day and there are some things, and I hate to even get into the specifics, but I'm going to for examples. But I want you to know that this is not everything. That in each of our lives we a different fight. But there's a fight in our heart and a fight in our mind for what we're going to believe, who we're going to count on, and who's ultimately uh, in charge and responsible. Who's minding the playground, if you will. Some things that get twisted up in our lives is maybe like how we interact with money and finances. Right? And we, we, we get all twisted up about it in our hearts. And I'm not telling you this like that you ought to feel guilty. I'm telling you this because I've felt that guilt myself. That it's so easy to get so messed up and to begin to think that that is more important than the things that God calls ultimately important, which is his sheep. The connection might not be obvious to you right now. But when we begin to disconnect that, we begin to think, well, you know, I have to take care of myself here. We begin to um, ignore what God calls ultimately valuable. Our hearts get twisted up. Oh, and it's a spiritual fight. And I want to tell you, I hope you are listening this morning, that the enemy is in it. Oh, the enemy is in it. He comes to steal, to kill and destroy. If he can use that as a wedge in your life, that, that financial thing, if he can cause that part of your heart to separate from God, just the money stuff, just separate that out. He's got you. He's just drive that wedge. Bam, 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 bam. You don't even know you're in a fight. Come on, Bill, this is about, this is about money. This, is, this isn't about God. You know how many times I have people tell me that in my life, by the way? You know? My, 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 my money has nothing to do with my spirituality. Come on. 
do, do you see what the scriptures say? All right, so you go, yeah, come to church, talk about money, great. You know, what about sex? Right? And sex is God's good idea. Like, we didn't make this up. I know we'd like to take credit for it. We didn't. It's God's good idea. And all of a sudden, in this very good thing that God says is very good, we got, we got this stuff that's immediacy about gratification, about what I want right now, about what's going to work for me. And the enemy gets in there and twists that up. It comes to steal, what? to kill, to destroy. There's a real battle, isn't there? And you enter into this stuff, and you think, this has nothing to do with my spirituality. This is just my sex life. This has nothing to do with my spirituality. And and he comes in, and he gets a little foothold in there, and he begins to draw you away. And and, and you get sucked into something. And there will come a time that you will go, how did I even end up here? You will know, no matter what you believe, you will get to a place where you will look at your life, honestly, from your heart, you'll say, how did I end up here? Let me tell you. You have an adversary. You have a thief. You have an enemy. And the battle's real. And we're in it right now. Maybe you think, oh, well, you know, sexuality. But what's, I mean, I'm, I, there's so many things in my life that God has, through the years, shown me. And, and that I don't even know how to communicate it, honestly. But this, I've seen it break down in people's lives. This idea of sexuality, extension of that, I would even say, is this idea of pornography. And, and again, not to get too weird, but, you know, like back in the day, pornography's magazines. Now pornography's everywhere. It's everywhere. I'm not one of those guys going alarmist like, oh, this guy's falling his pornography. No. What is the end goal of this? I want to tell you an overall truth about money, about sex, and about, and not just money and sex. I'm not mad at money and sex, but about anything else in our lives that would draw us away from the ultimate sovereignty of God. It is this. The enemy, the thief, promises the people of God things he can never deliver. Right? That's how he works. He promises things he can't deliver. And you know where the sin is? Not that he lies, because that's what liars do, they lie, but that we believe him. Hold that money a little tighter and you'll have more of it. Take care of yourself first. Right? No, it's not hurting anybody. It's your life. Don't let anyone tell you how to live your life sexually. You do your thing, man. This ain't hurting nobody. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm going to believe you, not God. And then, and I want to tell you the reason I'm preaching this because it's, it's not to be sensationalist. It's not to be, I just want you to know that you're in a fight. And, and, and what's tragic for me is I get, and I get to see in my own life too, but in other people's lives, that the ultimate manifestation is this cul-de-sac of sin and pain and ruin that you can't get out of or you don't think you can. Right? So you go, hey, this doesn't matter you know, I'm just going to look at a little bit of porn and it's on my own device and I'm really smart about how I do that. And then you get in a little deeper and then there's a little more taste and a little more and all of a sudden, and this is like addictive behavior, and then all of a sudden you get to this spot where you're like, how did I end up here and I can't ever get out? Now, let me tell you something else that happens. 
when you get to that point in your life where you've made all those decisions and you know, like, I know I got myself here, all of a sudden, we begin to believe the lie that there's no way out of this. There's no way out. I hear that there's this God who made all the creation and it was very good and he was so beautiful. And you read Jesus' story and Jesus is so beautiful. He's such an awesome person. But then in my own life, there's no way to get out. Maybe even because I'm a Christian and I knew that stuff about Jesus before I started this process. And now I'm down this sin road and I'm supposed to be a Christian. What does it say he comes to do? To steal, to kill, to destroy, to take what is not his, right? To sacrifice it to a false god. By the way, not it, us. And to cut us off from the God who is the good shepherd, who loves us so much that he would give his son that we would be free. That's crazy, right? That's in there. See, one of the things that I think we think wrongly about is we think, you know, Satan's trying to steal my joy. Or Satan's trying to ruin my day. Satan's trying to mess up my lunch. You know what I mean? He's trying to just, uh, you know, just give me traffic or whatever, you know. He ain't trying to frustrate you. He's trying to steal you away from God who says you are his. That's the truth. As a matter of fact, I want to share with you from the Gospel of Matthew because we, we know that Jesus is tempted in every way just like we are and yet did not sin. And we have a story, a temptation story from the Gospel of Matthew. I'm just going to put it up here and we'll read it together. This is, this is uh, the devil, Diablos, the deceiver, the adversary, the whisperer, right? I don't know what your vision of, of the devil is. This is the one who comes to lie. I want to talk about a little context here as well. But this is what he says to Jesus, the Son of God. He takes him to a high place, and he says to Jesus, all this I will give to you, if only you will what? Bow down and worship me. A couple things about this I want to say. That first of all, this is preposterous. That, that the devil would have the audacity to take the Son of God, the very Son of God, created in his image, perfect, sinless, take him to a high place at the end of his fasting, at the end of his, after his baptism and his call and all this, you know, the Holy Spirit, and take him and then say, Jesus, this is your last chance to get everything you want in life. Do you see what he said? This ain't going to hurt nobody. Just, this is all for you. I just want one little thing from you. I want you to bow down and worship me. Now you might say, Jesus didn't fall for that. And you're right. He didn't fall for that, did he? He said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to, that's stupid. Why would I do that? Right? Yet, in our own lives, man, when we look at our sin and the temptation that is there, is it not to end up bowing down and worshiping something that is not God. And I got news for you. Anything that's not God is the enemy and the adversary. You'd be drawn away from your relationship with him. You know what, you know what the devil's goal here was? It wasn't to make Jesus sin. His goal was to steal the Son of God from God, which is ridiculous. That was his goal. 
And if you think that the devil is stupid for trying with Jesus, why wouldn't he try with us? You know what I'm saying? You know what kind of ridiculous ego you have to do, have to do that? To walk up to Jesus and go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to get him to worship me. To me, it's unreasonable to believe that if the enemy would come after Jesus, he would not come after us. Matter of fact, there's a correlation there. All right. I want to get to another passage, and then we're going to um, wrap up. But uh, I hope you see that connection. It's real. The fight's real. The enemy's real. All right, here we go. This is going to be in uh, 1 Peter 5, 8. Um, 1 Peter 5, 8. You can turn there if you want. Again, it will be on the screens in a moment. It's backed by all the named letters. 1 Peter 5, 8. Written to the church. Kind of the concluding remarks here from Peter to the church. The one who knew Jesus, followed Jesus, you know, was ridiculously obedient and also put his, screwed up a lot. And this is, this is what he says. I again want to read part of this verse. You can read the whole thing. I'm not trying to talk you out of the whole thing. Read the whole verse. Read the whole book. Read the whole, you know, the whole Bible. But I want to talk about this second part of this verse. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Right? He starts off by saying, be self-controlled and alert, or be sober-minded and alert. Keep your eyes open. Why? Because your enemy, and then he articulates who that is, the devil, roams around looking for whom he might devour. This is, this is Peter writing to the church, right? This is after the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. This is after Peter has been restored by the Messiah. He knows he's a son of God. He's been forgiven. And he comes to church and he says, listen, stay awake. There's a fight going on. This imagery for me is so powerful. I don't think that we give it much credence. You go, I don't live in a jungle. I'm not worried. But do you not believe that there is one who walks around looking for whom he might consume? Right? How does it start? It's like a little nip at the heel, right? A little bit. Whoa, what was that? He ain't there for a snack. He's there to consume us. There is a real adversary, and I, I just want to convince you that this morning. And then I also want to say for those of us who go, man, why is spirituality so hard? Like, why is this fight so real? But the Bible says it's very real. It doesn't say like, hey, man, once you believe in Jesus, the enemy is vanquished, which is true in fact. But then the, you just smooth sailing. It's just wide, fat, paved roads all the way to the kingdom of God. Things are just going to be pouring on you. It's going to be so awesome. It's not found in the Bible. It says, no, there's an enemy your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking to see whom he might devour. I told you earlier, the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy is a liar. You have to believe that about the enemy of God. If you believe, because what happens? We believe that the enemy of God is a truth teller, then God is a liar. And that cannot be true. That cannot be true. So the enemy is... Um, the devil, and the word is diabolos, and it means a slanderous one, a false, listen to me, church, a false accuser. 
Not a, not a true accuser, a false accuser. There's one true accuser, and that's the Lord. He knows what sins we've committed. He knows the price that's due. He has the right to judge. But the enemy, he comes making false accusations. The idea of Diabolos is one who criticizes someone to hurt them, listen to the word, and to condemn them. That's the reason. I think I told you all before one time I was out in Colorado Springs at a mega, mega church for an event they did. And for me, it, this is extra biblical, but I thought it was so powerful, this reality of the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. Right? You don't know a story. Judas betrayed Jesus in the garden, right? Betrayed with a kiss, paid some, some money. And then later on, the scriptures say, Judas went and killed himself. After all that stuff, he got to the end of his road and he realized he believed there's no way out. And he killed himself. That's what the scriptures say. They did this, this youth group put on this event, huge event, and they did this interpretation of that. And you know what they did? They had, they had Judas there at the table, and the, the, the deceiver came up and whispered in his ear. And you can imagine what he's saying, right? He's saying, betray him, betray him, betray him. He's not who he says he is. Betray him. You need the money, right? You need the status. You're going to get carry favor in this world. Just, just do this one thing. It's this little thing. And then Judas goes from leaves, right? Jesus is not unaware of this. He comes and betrays Jesus. And I told you this before, but I think it's such a good image of what I think the devil does in our lives is the minute we sin and screw up, all of a sudden the devil's right on our shoulder going, you screwed up. What are you thinking, Judas? You sat with him. You put your hand in the cup. And then you betrayed him. And all the way up this long hill, Judas feels the weight of his sin, the weight of his betrayal. And at the end, the enemy gets his way and he kills himself. He's a liar, the enemy. He's a deceiver. And his desire is nothing short of our destruction. Right? That's the truth. It's too easy to stand in self-righteousness and say, well, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't fall into that. But we face an adversary, and we are in a fight. This idea that the enemy, it says, is a, like a roaring lion. It prowls around like a roaring lion. I don't know if you've, you know, I've been to Africa once. I did not see a lion. <laughs> I've seen zebras and stuff like that. I didn't see a lion. If I saw a lion, I would have been going the other way. Okay, maybe in a zoo where it's cute, laying there and like whipping his tail in the dust, I'd be like, all right, that lion's cool, I'm down with that. But when that thing stood up and was like, even if it started like, you ever heard a lion like just like a, like a big kitty cat purr, you know? Like, like that guttural, I can't even do it, you know? That noise means move away quickly. Not too quickly, because <laughs> why, why does the scripture say that about the enemy? He comes around like a lion, a roaring lion looking who he can consume. One thing that's true of animals, we're just kind of putting this out there, is that the minute they sense, what is the word? Fear in you, and you see yourself as prey, and you turn to run, it feeds them. Oh, something to chase. <laughs> I'm faster than that dude. <laughs> you ever heard the joke about outrunning bears? You don't have to be faster than the bear, just faster than your slowest friend. That's terrible. But right? I can catch this one. Wham! You go, that doesn't happen. 
All right, let's back up a minute. What about bullies? What's going on with the bully in the schoolyard? Walking around, looking. I'm not saying they're the devil. I can catch that one. Bam! I say be alert. That's what Peter says. There's the lion. I want to talk a little more about this passage. Roaring lion to instill fear in us that we might run, flee, flee the devil, flee away. Get out of here super fast, man. He's going to get me. The word says he walks around. You know it's my favorite word, one of my favorite words in Greek, peripateo. I want to do a little comparison here about the peripateo. It says that the enemy, our enemy, prowls around peripateos to see who we can consume. The scriptures say that we should peripateo, walk around in the spirit of God, that we might know his will and be obedient to him and bear his fruit. We peripateo with the spirit of God. We are not ill-equipped for this battle. Do you see that? There's an enemy walking around, but so are we walking around. As those whom Jesus Christ has said, this one is mine. He belongs to me. She belongs to me. You cannot have him or her. Who do we believe? The roaring lion or the spirit of God? One of the words that the NIV drops on this is zeteo, seeking whom he might devour. What are we called to do? Ask, seek, knock. He's seeking. We're supposed to be seeking. You in trouble with the devil? Are you in trouble with sin? Are you stuck? You should be seeking God, right? He's seeking you. I mean, God's seeking you too, but I'm saying that the enemy is seeking you. You seek God in that moment. Please, please don't take some part of your life that's broken and go, this is so screwed up, I can't bring it to Jesus. I, he can't deal with this. Please don't do that. Because what you're saying is, the only thing for me here is the enemy to consume me. No. Zeteo, seek the Lord. You have one who is seeking your destruction. And then the last word is that whom he might devour. I kind of thought this idea of devouring meant like to kind of eat. You know, you think about how a lion devours something, it's just gnarly, isn't it? You know, like, and they get territorial about it, like this kills mine, and they're tearing it up, it's graphic, it's gross, kind of like boxing or MMA, you know, it's like the ultimate manifestation of that. And you go, that's gnarly, but that actually isn't what the scriptures say. What the scripture says, what the devil desires to do is to consume you whole. That's what it says. The word for devour doesn't mean he wants to eat a little bit of your life. I'll just eat the pornography stuff. You can have the rest of your family and your friends and your work. That's why I'll just eat the porn. Hey, I'll just eat the money stuff. You can have everything else. I'll just do that. That's not what he's after. He wants to go, and you're gone. The word means to drink you down, to pour you out, to consume us. This is what the scriptures say our enemy is desiring. Some other places we find that word of, of the, I want you to understand the gravity of the situation, the, the, the desire of the enemy is not to just kind of mess with you, trip you up, tie your shoestrings and giggle when you fall, but to eat you whole, to consume everything that you have, all that you are, your hopes, your dreams, your God. He, he would separate us from the love of God if he could. Some places we find the same word in scriptures in the Hebrews it talks about the Israelites going through the Red Sea. And it says whenever Pharaoh's army chased the Israelites through the Red Sea, they were swallowed up by the water. Completely unable to survive. 
It wasn't like it splashed on their knees and they go, whoa, back up, the water closed. No, right in the middle, right at that moment, the waters collapsed on the enemies of God and they were consumed by his judgment. The other place we find this word of being consumed whole is in this. Paul talks about the resurrection from the dead. The reality of life after death. And Paul says this, in the moment when the old flesh becomes new, when the new life springs forth, death is swallowed up in victory. That's the kind of power we're talking about here. The power that the enemy would love to have over his people. I'm going to swallow your people. Now, the gospel says that we serve a God who is going to swallow death and everything in it. He's going to defeat this high and mighty and arrogant enemy. So, I've laid it out. Do you believe you're in a fight in your life? Are there areas of your life where your faith in Christ is challenged because of the circumstances you face? Are you tempted to cheat? Are you tempted to do something that would be dishonoring to God? Are you tempted? I can't imagine that you aren't, right? I am. I'm not saying I'm not normative, but I can't imagine. If you're not tempted, you let me know. I'd love to talk to you about what that looks like in your life. I think there are a couple of approaches that the enemy would love to use is he would love to either keep us fat, dumb, and happy as unbelievers. I think he would just love to bless unbelievers, bless them, bless them, bless them, so they don't cry out to God, they don't desire anything more, just be fulfilled, man. This life is all you got, live it up, YOLO. You know, this is your only trip around this ball, make it count, man. And, and people just love that, they embrace that, right? The hopelessness of life that is not eternal. They live it out, they celebrate it from the rooftops. Fat, dumb, and happy. That's one of the things the enemy like to do. Or the second, for those who are believing, is he'd love to terrify you into doing something that would ultimately sever our relationship with our Savior. If it were possible, that's what he's after. And it's only possible if we believe it. If we believe him more than God, his desire is that he would um, demote God and elevate himself. That's all he's after. Worship. That's all he wants. So what are you supposed to do then? You know, we're going to get more into this next week, right? This week, so get your hands up. So what are you supposed to do? What can, what can we walk away today? We can say, you know what? This week, when I face temptation, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to remember this. I'm going I'm to do this thing. I want to share with you from the uh, book of James. I think it's James um, 4-7, Right? This is, this is James, whom I love. He's so practical in his teaching to the church. And he writes to the church and he says this, Resist the devil, and what? <laughs> I mean, can you get a little happy about that? <laughs> he will flee. You resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We talked about earlier, the roaring lion. Our tendency to turn and run and become dinner. That's not what it says. Resist the devil, and... He will flee from you. Get this. Um, resist. What does it mean to resist? It means to stand against. I will not be driven in the corner. I will not be shamed. 
I will not be denied my right place in the kingdom of God because of the blood of Jesus. I will not allow that to happen. What area of your life do you need to say that this week? And not say it because it's good. You're, you're, because you've got to muster, you know, I'm going I'm, I'm to be the bully now. I'm going to show you. No. Do you say, I'm done with this. I know who I am in Jesus Christ. I believe the truth teller, not the liar. You have no place here in my life. And you stand firm. It means you plant two feet, what? On the rock of Jesus Christ. And you stand up and you say, I know one more powerful than you. This isn't about some theoretical, theological, distant idea. It's about in the middle of our sin and struggle. It's about those moments when no one's around and that enemy's going, no one's going to know. You can say, no. I know one who knows. I know one who's here. Resist the devil. Listen to me, church. This is our time to fight. And I would love to say to you, you know what? Nine rounds, 12 rounds, whatever, and it'll be over. Referee's going to call it. It's going to be the fight to the end. All the, all the stuff we see in Scripture is a fight to the end. Resist the devil. Can I encourage you with that today? What are you tempted by? What are you struggling with? You're in a fight. Don't blow it off and go, eh, it's no big deal. No, it's a huge deal. Stand on Christ. Resist the devil. He'll flee because he has no place. He has no place in the kingdom of God, and he knows it. Pray with me if you would. Father God, for the power and the truth of your word, we give you thanks and praise. We did not come here today to glorify the enemy, but to recognize him as a liar and a deceiver who would desire to keep your people from you or who would desire to steal your people from you after they've come to know you. You say that you are indeed the good shepherd and we can count on you. Today, Father, with my brothers and sisters here, we confess that we trust you more than your enemy, that we believe you and your good promises. That these songs that we sing each week aren't just songs that we might um, say nice words and Christianese, but they would be songs poured out to you that says, no, you are the good father. You are the one in charge. You will make all things right, and we believe you. Lord, I don't know what the struggles in this room are today, but I know there are probably multitudes of hurts and of pains and of issues and of stuff that we're stuck in or stuck with and that we believe the liar who says you know there's no coming back from that you're too far far i pray that your holy spirit would just speak loudly into those places of our lives and say no this is my cul-de-sac too and i can bring you back out of this father god that we would believe you for that hope and promise that we would not surrender to the enemy who would love to be a schoolyard bully but we would just say no i know the one in charge i will not take this anymore he has claimed me as his own. Father, would your spirit well up in us that this week? As we follow you together as brothers and sisters, utterly dependent on your grace and mercy and sovereignty and the blood you shed on the cross, that we'd be free. Would you help us to remember to claim you in the battle and to move forward? To believe you, Father, and your promises. Not by my many words. And how about my ridiculous convincing, Father, but by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you do that work in our lives? Say, we confess that we need you, and we confess that we are sinners that are hopelessly lost without you, and we confess that if it were not for you, the enemy would have overrun us long ago. But you make a way. Make a way this week. We love you so much. We pray it in Jesus' name.